Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you, encourages you, and brings you closer to Jesus. Epic moments. I'm telling you, I feel like I should have a box, a bucket of popcorn and, and some, some Twizzlers or whatever, you know, we, like I'm watching these trailers like, wow. Uh, before we get started today, we are going to talk about Esther. It's already been mentioned a couple times. I want to say something and I, I want, they're kind of me- meandering around right now, but I don't know if you all noticed it, but I think the average age of our stage this morning was like 12. <laughs> and I know there's lots of stuff out there in the world that says this next generation is worthless and lazy and all that kind of stuff. They've never been here because I feel like we are raising next generation leaders in this place that are going to change the scope and trajectory of this world that we live in. And I'm telling you, I am proud to be a part of a team that allows 20-somethings. And I mean, the the fact that that Kevin and Matt raised the average age of this stage up by 30 years, (laughs) like cracked me up. I mean, I think it was like 18, 17, whatever. I'm like, so I want you to do me a favor. They're probably around here somewhere. They're probably getting ready to eat some good breakfast, but I want you to give them a big round of applause. They do a great job. And not, and not that Justin or old people do a bad job, okay? It's not that at all. It's just I'm proud to be a part of this. And so, well, we're going to talk about the epic story of Esther. And it's interesting because this past week I was watching a TV show, uh, CNBC, and I was watching it and we're talking about the oldest billionaire in the world. He had just turned 100 years old. His name is Chan Young Chung, and he owns a company called Pacific International Lines. As a matter of fact, if you've ever been to Charleston or Savannah, you've probably seen some of his business. So the big cargo ships that have the big, you know, four or five different layers. His was actually one of the ones that was uh, at St. Simon's that was stuck. And that's how they actually started talking about it. But he's a billionaire, okay? He's a billionaire. And this past year, he turned 100 years old, 100 years old. Now, here's the deal that's really good about this story. He still works every day. This is what he said. He was up till last year, he was everything. The president and the CEO, everything. He's taken a different role and he's got a new title now, but he still goes to work every day. And this is why he says he goes to work. He says, work brings me purpose. I want you to think about that word today. What brings you purpose? What's the thing in your life that brings you purpose? Because in our world that we live in, we're seeing just the opposite. We're not seeing people work 100. We're not seeing people work until 55 or 60. As a matter of fact, it's hard to find anybody in this culture to work at all. If you go around to just about any restaurant right now, what's the sign that you see at every restaurant? Help Wanted. I have a friend of mine that owns a very popular restaurant in this city. Had lunch with him a couple weeks ago. And he said, Pastor Bobby, I literally put up a sign, help wanted. He said, but don't get on the staff. These people are working. And I thought to myself, wow, so many times I go in there about the bad service. Uh, We ate at one restaurant a couple weeks ago for lunch. Took them an hour just to get our food. But you know something? We should applaud the people that are still working. Because we live in a culture, unemployment is an all-time high. Not because there's not jobs. It's because people aren't going to work. And what I have found out in my own personal life, maybe you guys have figured this out too, My work brings me purpose. My work brings me significance, even if it's a small amount. And you're going, Pastor Bobby, I only do this. I don't want to hear anybody ever say, I only anymore. Because after today, you're going to understand through the story of Esther that God takes every one of our I onlys and turns them into monumental, eternal moments if we'll allow God to use us in those moments. 
And so it's an interesting concept, this, this whole thing of Esther. And so here's what, and I want you to know this. I, I read a study this past week, and, and I don't know if anybody in this room is this age or anything, but they're actually showing that people that have purpose, um, her name was Patricia Boyle. She's a doctor at the, um, it's called the uh, Rush Center in Chicago, Illinois. She did a study that showed, and they did like uh, 5,000 people in the study, that people that have a purpose, even if it's just volunteering at church or volunteering at, say, the United Way, or maybe, maybe you, have, you have a purpose, you want to read through a, a series of books, whatever, they apt to live longer. As a matter of fact, the median age was 78 years old. So people that have a purpose live longer. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, like maybe one day, you know, 30 years ago at Mima's church, you went to the VBS and you walked that aisle and you filled out the little card or maybe here, you came around here and you, you know, you prayed the prayer or whatever. You have a built-in purpose. You know what the built-in purpose is? To know God and make him known in the world we live in. That's our purpose. Every person in this room that knows that Jesus Christ is in fact who he said he was, he's Lord of all, you have a built-in purpose. David said it like this. We, we read Moses a lot because in Psalms 90, it says, teach us to number our days are right that we may gain our heart of wisdom. But David says it before that's even written in Psalm 71. He says, so even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. He says, listen, before I go out of this place, before I die, I want to proclaim to the world that I live in to another generation that you are in fact who you are. Acts 13, 36 says it like this about David. It says, when he accomplished his task in this generation, then he fell asleep, then he died. So apparently by the time that he died, he had accomplished the task about proclaiming to the world that God existed. How about you? What's your purpose? Now, what I want to do today is a little different than what I would normally do. I want to take a 10,000 foot view. I'm going to look down at the story. I'm going to look down through the story and then I'm gonna talk a little bit. I'm gonna hover over it like we're in a helicopter. I'm gonna hover over a couple points that I think that are pivotal. We're gonna land in one passage of scripture today after we read a little bit. But so I wanna give you kind of the high level flyover. Here, here's, here's where we're gonna start, okay? The book of Esther is 10 chapters. It's one of two books that don't speak directly of God, okay? Anybody wanna guess what the other one is? Song of Solomon. So neither one of those books talk about God directly. But we see in the book of Esther, we see the sovereignty and the hand of God from beginning to end. We see promises fulfilled that he would never destroy the Israelites again. So we see all these promises through the book of Esther, but we never hear specifically of, of, of God. We never, we never read about the God, the God character. And so what happens is, and this is where it starts, it's in 479 B.C., so it's, um, it's a king that's reigning as King Xerxes. It's in the area of Susa, okay? There's a queen, her name is Vashti. And Vashti is, like other queens, very influential. The problem is Vashti also had a little attitude. And so she didn't want to do everything that the king said. Now, whether it was right or wrong, the culture back then was different. So King Xerxes, or in some scripture it says Azarus, is the king, but King Xerxes wanted Vashti to come and dance. So all him and his buddies got drunk and he wanted Vashti to come and just dance for him. So like, I've heard of places like this in Atlanta. I've never been to any, right? But the woman would dance in front of the guys, right? So that's what he wants. That's what he wants to have happen. Some of you are going, did he just say that in church? So in search for a new queen. So he exiles her. He basically ditches her. Like, you're out of here. You're not, you're not worthy to be a, uh, the queen anymore. So he, what he does is he, and I'm gonna talk about this in a minute. 
He puts on a pageant show or a, a beauty contest. And he has all these virgins that are coming from the area of Susa come in front and parade in front of King Xerxes. So in search of the new queen, they find this one. Her name is actually, it goes, so there's this guy named Mordecai or Mordecai. And it's interesting because I can hear some of you, the Bible says it's this. Okay, here's the deal. I may make him sound different than what you've heard him sound, but, but you weren't there. You didn't ask them how to say their name, did you? I noticed this. In the South, Bobby's one way. In the North, Bobby's a whole nother way. Right? So we're going to go with Mordecai for right now. Okay? Some people call him Mordecai. He is Esther's uncle. Okay? So Esther was orphaned as a child. So one day, um, all the young women are being paraded. Out of all the women that were there, King Xerxes picks Esther. Now Mordecai is sitting outside the gate, and he hears two guys talking about overthrowing the government and overthrowing King Xerxes. So he tells Esther, he goes, you need to find favor with King Xerxes and you need to go tell him what's going on. Well, King Xerxes was furious at this point and ran out and literally took the two that were saying this and had them both killed. A couple chapters later, we read about it and we, we, we read about a, a guy by the name of Haman that finds out that Mordecai, or Mordecai is Jewish and Haman wants to kill. So he goes to Xerxes and he says, I want all the Jewish, you know, this one day, I want them all killed. Well, in this moment, Mordecai, this is where we're gonna land today. Mordecai says to Esther that you were created for such a time as this. You need to go to the king. You need to go in and you need to petition Xerxes the fact that he would have sovereignty over and save the, the nation of Israel. So in this, he finds out who the one that's bringing up all the stuff, he finds out it's Haman. And so Mordecai is sitting out there and Haman's out there. Well, Mordecai made a gallow for, um, uh, Haman made a gallow for Mordecai to be killed on. It's ironic that the very gallow that he made to be killed on or killed, killed Mordecai is the one that he was killed at. So Xerxes finds out that there's, this, there's this, this movement with Haman and he wants to kill all the Jewish people and Xerxes has, has him killed. That's the high level flyover, okay? That's literally 10 chapters in seven minutes. Y'all got it? What does that really do to us? What's so epic about that story? Well, when we look through scripture, and this story specifically, it's not about a billionaire. It's not about somebody that's a billionaire that's making and still working. This is about an ordinary person, just like us, that God uses in an extraordinary way. And some people would say that Esther is a story of the right person at the right pl place at the right time. And I'm, I'm saying, no, it's, it's the right person and God's right timing. That this person, that's why it's so important when it, that passage says you were created for such a time as this, is that God puts us in specific places just like he did him. And that's my first thing when we peel back and we kind of hover over it. We need to realize that God created us for specific moments in the course of history. You were not by chance put on this earth right now. There's a specific task that God wants you to do. I heard it say there's two greatest moments in a person's life. The first moment is this, when you're born, greatest moment. But the second greatest moment is when you realize why you were born. I can remember that day, 16 and a half, almost 17 years old. And I was sitting there and I had somebody prophesy over me. They spoke words of encouragement over me that I was going to be in ministry one day. And that was the first time in my life I realized why I was created I wasn't created just to play baseball or just to hang out with my friends. I was created with a specific task to carry the message of the gospel to the world that we live in. Esther, an ordinary Jewish girl, left, left as an orphan in Mordecai's house, sits there one day and all of a sudden because of a beauty pageant, she is now finding this position she has with a king that she didn't even know prior to that just a few years ago. And this is what it says in Esther uh, chapter four, verse 14. 
Mordecai says, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to this kingdom for such a time as this. You were put on this earth just like she was for such a time as this. Now, I want you to hear, I want you to hear this. And I'm, I'm guaranteeing you need to be taking notes. I've already had like five or six. What was that quote? What was that quote? Everybody in this room, everybody down at Sherwood, Everybody that's in our atrium, anybody that's watching online, you have a calling of God that needs to be fulfilled. And if you don't do it, he will find somebody else to do it. If you don't do what God's called you to do, and I can hear some of you, I can see it in your eyes. Well, well, Pastor Bobby, I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not called to be Will, you know, pastor. I'm not called to be a word. I'm not called. Why don't we stop saying you're not called and start going, you know something, I am called. It's just a different calling. Your calling may not be to do this right here, but your calling is to do something that God has given you a specific gift set. And and here's what I believe. I believe God's calling for our lives is always just a little bit bigger and a little bit better and a little bit tougher than if we just skate through life. You know know what I'm finding out? Help Help me with this. I'm finding out we live in a really lazy culture. That we, we don't ever wanna do the hard stuff. That's why we have help, help wanted signs all over the place. That's why we can't find people because it's just easier to get the guy. And this is not politics, okay? It's just easier to take some money from somebody else and kind of skate through life. I, I was joking around in the first service. I don't ever see myself retiring. Maybe some of you want me to, but I don't see myself retiring. <laughs> this is Will. Will, this, Will, Will, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to come up here with the walker. You're going to prop me up over here and I'm going to preach Jesus. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't see anywhere in the Bible that it talks about retirement. Not from his calling, maybe from your occupation, but not from his calling. And you're calling, okay, I'm not called to be a missionary. Okay, you're not called to be a missionary. You're not called to be a pastor. That's fine. You're not called to be a pastor. But God is in the business still of calling ordinary men and ordinary women to extraordinary tasks. That's your calling. That's what God's called you to do. Now, anybody, and it's interesting because I've, I've, I'm becoming a history person. Like I I love reading and, 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 and seeing things. So back on June 6th, anybody know what June 6th was? What is it? D-Day. D-Day. Okay, so back on June 6th, History Channel was running a whole day of all the D-Day stories. And one of the stories that absolutely blew me out of the water was a, a, about a guy. He was a hero, but you've probably never heard his name, and he was not even in a fight. He wasn't even in uh, he wasn't at the, uh, any of the beaches or anything. His name is Andrew Jackson Higgins. Now, some of you may know him because there was a boat named after him called the Higgins Boat. Up till this point, they didn't have any way to transport people. So they would put him in rowboats that were made of wood, and literally that's how they would get on the beaches. They were susceptible to be killed immediately, and they would come in a line, and they, you know, the enemy would throw the missiles or gunshot, and they would end up dead. This is an ironclad that a bullet can't go through. And so they would literally duck through, and as soon as they got close enough to the beach, that front would drop out, and a swarm of, of soldiers would come out. Now, it's interesting because the president at the time said he was the most influential person Now, here's the really cool thing about the story. He was never commissioned by the Navy or the Marines to build this ship. He designed and built this ship, the very first one, by himself without aiming because he saw what was going on in the military and he saw what was going on in the Navy. See, that's what I'm talking about. When you have a call, there's nobody that can stop you. When when you have a call, there's nobody that needs to commission you. You know without a shadow of a doubt that God has called you to do something and you can't. So this is how I say it all the time. The calling that you have is the thing, we're talking about this in a minute, is the thing that keeps you awake at night. You can't get... The other day, um, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, I was asked to shoot a video. Uh, 
And the video is for our on-ramp, our partnership. So if you come to partnership and if, if you're at maybe the other campus or maybe it's a day that I'm not available, they're going to show this video. And so the video actually tells our story. I get the privilege of telling our story because I was there when history was being made. I was there when the story started. And if you don't know the story, I'll give you the, the, the short end. It's 2003. We're sitting on the beach at, at, at Hilde, Hilton Head. And it's a Sunday, and I'm watching all these people walk around. And, and I was at a great church. I was at Stevens Creek Community Church. I have the utmost respect for Todd and April. It's a great church. You can't go there, but it's a great church. <laughs> okay. no, just, just track with me here on this one. Okay. So, so I was there, and it was, and I don't mean this to be ugly, because this is not, this, there's not malice in my heart. Marty, I, I am here because of the teachings and the training and the leadership of Marty Baker. But like the people that I was watching, I don't know that they would have gone to Stephen. It was just, a, it was a different church. And, and, and like I asked this question and I asked it wrong, but I asked the question the very first time. I said, where do normal people go to church? Because I was looking and then I realized that was the wrong word. I was asking the question was, where do abnormal people go to church? <laughs> right here. And so it was one of those deals where, and you know what I realized? That that, that calling, that purpose kept me awake at night. Like there was, there was something deep down inside of me that I couldn't get rid of. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, because I wanted to develop a church where normal people can come, where people can just be themselves. They can come in shorts. They can come, they, you know, the pastor every once in a while says crap from the stage. You know, whatever he says, like he's, he's, he's weird. Like you get it? And so it's one of, that's, that's the calling. And you know what else? Your calling starts right where you're at. Don't wait for a moment, create a moment. So before I got in the ministry, Okay, 1983, um, God speaks a word over me that I'm, gonna, I'm called to ministry. Um, but I moved down here in 88 to help start a church. And my first job that I had was I was a landscaper. Prior to that, I worked at a farm. And so I worked at a farm up in New Jersey. I was in charge. I was the head cow milk milker and the head poop picker upper. <laughs> it has to be done. And so I learned how to do this. This is long before you put suction cups on them jokers. Like, it's like, right? And then I, right? You know, you worked on the farm. And so that's what I did, right? And, and I remember one day, and I was complaining to my wife. We had gotten married, and I was working in a landscape company. And I said, you know, I have this calling on my life, and all I'm doing is digging ditches. And a couple years went by, and God strategically put me in an insurance company. And so I started selling insurance. Um, I think this was like in 1990, 89-90. And I remember what she said to me. Gina said to me one day, she goes, it's amazing. This is when I got into ministry finally, um, full-time ministry. She said, you went from selling, assurance to, uh, from selling insurance to selling assurance. And I thought, wow. But I, I say all that to say this. I was digging ditches. And a couple years after we had started Journey, I get a phone call. And the phone call is from a wife of somebody that used to work for me. His name was Charlie. And Charlie got killed in a car accident. And Charlie ran off the side of the road in Harlem. And the wife was telling me that Charlie got killed. But she said, I want to tell you something. She said, do you remember the day that you prayed with Charlie in that ditch when you were digging sprinkler lines? And I said, I do. And she said, he came home and told me that he asked Jesus Christ to be a savior that day. And because of that, I have an assurance that he is in heaven right now. And I thought to myself, God can even use a ditch digger. God can use a coach. God can use a teacher. God can, God can use a stay-at-home mom. God, God can own a business owner. God can, God can work a person and use a person that's on assembly line. God can use every one of us if we allow. God used Esther, a teenage girl that won a beauty pageant. That's how she got there. 
I love the way Colossians chapter three says it. It says, whatever you do, so whether it's your workplace, if your hobbies, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. It's really important. We need to see the importance, not just notice that we're created for a moment. We need to see the importance in every moment. Every moment of our life is designated and specified. for. Listen to what happens here. Find the meaning and seemingly unimportant moments. Esther won the beauty contest. Now, I want you to notice something, and I don't want you to create a theology over this. Okay, don't, don't, don't go, Pastor Bobby said this. Is... It's interesting to me that Vashti said no, and Esther said yes. And what's interesting about it in the world we live in, I think there's lots of people that say no to God's calling, but there's always going to be a few people that say yes. I think there, there's people maybe even in this room that there's been a call of God on your life since the time you were small and you've been saying no. And maybe just maybe, hey, Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah chapter six. He just says this. He goes, here I am, send me. Right where I'm at, right what I'm doing right this second, just, just send me. He, all he's saying is yes. And I wonder how many, and what can change in the world? How could we make Jesus famous if some of us just said yes? And I'm gonna read a big block. We're gonna backfill the story right now. Esther chapter one, verse 12, okay? This is the getting ready to, to, for the beauty contest. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At, at this, the king became enraged and his anger burned out within him. Drop down to verse 19. If it pleased the king, let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may not be re, uh, repealed. That Vashti is never again, so that's Queen Vashti, she's not allowed to come back, never again to come before the king um, uh, as an asterisk. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she, okay? Chapter two, verse two. Then the king's young men who attended him, let the beautiful young virgins um, be sought out for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the province of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to a harem in Susa the citadel under custody of Hege, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, let their cosmetics be given, given them. And then it says this, and let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king and he did so. And in verse 17, the king loved Esther more than all the other women and she won grace and favor in the sight of more, uh, more than all the other virgins so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti, okay? So all these moments, all these things were set up for that one passage that we read all the time, that we have t-shirts and little wristbands in uh, Esther chapter four, verse 14. Now think about all the setups that were happening to get Esther to that one point. It says this, for if you keep silent, right? Chapter four, verse 14, at this time, relief and deliverance will be, uh, rise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And I love this next, and who knows whether. Do you ever think about that? You, you, just by chance, you may be right where you're at because God put you there. That, that your situations in your life may be actually setups and not setbacks. That that job that you're in right now, maybe, there may be a reason, there may be something that works with you that hasn't heard the dangerous message of Jesus Christ. And yes, it may be a mundane job, but you can use it for a bigger picture if you understand how important every one of those moments are. I was reading a story about a, a farmer this past week and his horse ran away. And when his horse ran away, all the people that were in the town came to kind of console him, like, I, you know, I'm sorry about your horse. And so one of the things he said, um, you, know, they, you know, I don't know, uh, it may be a bad thing or it may not be a bad thing that the horse ran away. Well, a week later, that horse came back with 20 more horses, okay? So all the farmers, all his friends are high-fiving him, you got 21 horses now, isn't it great? And he goes, I don't know, maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. 
Well, then all of a sudden, the son, he had an 18-year-old son, gets up on the horse one day, and he gets thrown off the horse. This horse bucks him off, and he lands, and he breaks his arm. And, and, and everybody's like, are you okay? Is everything? He goes, you know, maybe so. It may be a good thing, maybe a bad thing. I don't know. Two weeks later, war broke out. And the U.S. government came into this little small town, and they took all the young boys, 17, 18, and 19 years old, except for him because he had a broken arm. And he says, now I know that it was a good thing that my horse got lost. Now think about that. All those moments, you would have thought there were setbacks. But in fact, what they were was a setup for God to pervert, uh, uh, preserve that one kid. In your life, your jobs, your, your, your history, your track record, what you've leaned into may not be just what you want. It may be what God wants you to do. It may be the very place that God wants you. Listen to what it says, because we need to learn, just like Esther, to capitalize on the moments that God puts us in. Go rather to all the Jews to be found in Susan. and hold fast on my behalf, verse 16, and do not eat for three days or three nights. And he said, and I, my young women, will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, if I perish, if I perish, I perish. Can you imagine that? That whole thing, that whole setup, was for her to stand in front of the king and save a whole generation. See, here's something that we've got to learn. Life is a series of events. And so many times, we want to stop and look at it and go, okay, but the series of events hasn't ended yet. So there may be more things in the series of events in the book. There may be another chapter that God's waiting to do. And so many times we give up right before God wants to do anything in us. Which leads me to the last thing. And this is the most important thing. I think we are created for moments. And to be quite honest with you, I think that we need to identify every moment of our life as a moment. It's interesting because the mundane sometimes gets in the way. I was at Publix the other day and um, I was getting some flowers for my wife. And as I was going through, uh, I got to the bakery section and we were actually texting back and forth. She asked me what... I, asked, I said, she goes, what do you want for lunch? And I said, fried chicken, because Publix has the best fried chicken. Somebody say amen to that. It's pretty good, isn't it? And she sent me a donut emoji. <laughs> right? And I was like, you serious? I get donuts? And she's like, no, that was, I, I hit the wrong button. <laughs> Don't do me like that. That's, that's not right. There was a lady from our church in there, and she walked past me. And, you know, you got to remember this. Up until a couple weeks ago, this is what I saw of everybody, right? So if you're in public, like, so when they go, hey, Pastor Bobby, we've been coming to church for six months. Well, I've never seen anything more than this right here. And when I get to Publix, I have glasses on and a hat and I'm, you know, shorts. And I don't want anybody to know who I am. And so like, you know, so she goes, she goes, she goes, I just found out this past week I have breast cancer. And I said, can I pray for you? And she said, sure. And I went to lay hands on her. She goes, Here? <laughs> like, I won't be a liar. So I'm in the bakery section, my favorite section, and I'm praying. And you know what I realized in that moment right there? Every moment of our lives has the potential to be an eternal moment. The other night, I get a phone call. Wednesday night, I get a phone call from one of my best friends. He comes here. And uh, he's out of town. And he says, can you go? Can you go to ICU? My dad's probably not going to make it. And I didn't think twice. I mean, I dropped everything I was doing because we've known this family for a long time. And I get up there, 
and I'm holding this man's hand. He's went from 160, 70 pounds to probably 80 pounds, and I'm holding his hand, and he's gasping for air. And I just asked this one question. I said, how are you with this Jesus thing? Because I've never had a conversation with him. And he goes, I think I'm okay. And I said, you think you're okay? And I said, can we make sure right now, can we make sure right now that you are okay? I said, I said, George, you ju you've done some bad things. We all have, right? The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. I said, but the great thing about Jesus is grace, even while we were yet sinners, he came to save us. He loves us. He cares about us. And the next words came out of his mouth. As horrible as the situation it was, he said, would you pray for me because I want to be in heaven one day. And so right there in that spot, I held his hand. Well, I didn't know it. The nurse that's walking around comes to journey, probably watching right now. It's like, wow. I just went up there to do a hospital visit. But the whole, and listen, I want you to know this. I'm not the hero of the story. The hero of the story is Jesus because he's the only one that can save people. And he's the one that opened the door and it's by his spirit that he draws people. So the prayer at Publix or the prayer at the hospital, whatever it is, it's because of Jesus. But we have got to learn. That's my third thing. We're going to peel it back. We need to look at every moment as an eternal moment. Every moment has the ability to be bigger than just us. I want you to catch this first line of this passage in, in Esther chapter 9, verse 20. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews. Now, I want you to understand something real quick here. What he's talking about is what we're reading about right now. Thousands of years later, we'll still, we're still talking about Esther. What she did. Now, if the Lord tarries for another thousand years, there'll be another preacher somewhere telling this story. Because these are eternal stories. That's what makes them epic. They're epic because they're timeless and they tell the story about a God that loves us and cares about us. And your story is the same exact way. Luke chapter says, because this is, the, this is what we see in Jesus' life. Every moment of Jesus' life had an eternal significance. He's walking up the road and he meets a prostitute on the side of the road. All of a sudden it turns eternal. He sees a guy in a tree one time. All of a sudden it turns eternal. He sees four, of, four friends dropping somebody. It becomes eternal. Because that's how Jesus, because Jesus knew his purpose. Luke chapter 19, 10 says this, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. That was Jesus' purpose. Everything in our lives. See, it's that moment right there when we find and realize the significance of every moment and how it has eternal impact. We have a young widow that I had to do her husband's funeral several years ago. And she started something after the husband died. She started every meal, instead of dwelling on all the bad stuff, boy, you want to talk about something that we all should do? Instead of dwelling on all the bad stuff, she asks her kids at every meal, tell me something you're thankful for. Wow. Tell me something you're thankful for. Well, a couple weeks ago, the eight-year-old, they have an eight-year-old boy, said, I'm thankful for the days that my dad walked outside with me and threw a baseball. She sat there and chuckled for a couple minutes, and she was telling me this a couple weeks ago. She said, Pastor Bobby, the really funny thing was he didn't go out there because he wanted to throw a baseball with his son. He went out there because we work at home, and every time somebody would cancel an appointment, instead of getting all kinds of crazy and throwing stuff, he would go outside and just throw a baseball. It was his way to cool off. But my son thought it was because of him. And she said, if, if, if my husband knew the impact it had right now, he would have dropped his work a lot more often and walked out there and thrown a baseball with him all the time. So even throwing a baseball has eternal value. 
every moment in our lives have the, have the ability to be that. I, I wish I could give everybody a 30-second soundbite to how, to how to find your purpose. I, I, we could do another four messages on purpose and figure out, like, how, how do you figure it? But I'm going to sum it up as, as easily as I can sum it up. The place that God calls you to uh, is the place where your deepest gladness and the world's deepest hunger meet. It's that thing that keeps you awake at night. It's where your deepest, it's the thing that makes your heart patter. It's, it's developing a church for people that are unchurched like it was for me. It, it's, it, it, for you, it may be something, but it's where your deepest gladness, your biggest gladness, the thing that keeps you awake at night, where it intersects right here with the deepest need of the world, that's your calling. I don't know how to get you there, other than, in fact, I would say, pray about it, talk about it, ask about it, go to see somebody in the next steps, find a place to get involved. But I know it's big. Second Thessalonians says it like this, and this has been kind of a, a verse for me the last couple of weeks. It says, to this end, we always pray, this is purpose, that our, God, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So that in the name of our Lord Jesus, he may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. To make him known in the world we live in. I don't know how many people have ever heard the name Richard Halverson. Some of you probably have. He's a pastor of First Baptist, uh, First Presbyterian of Bethesda, but he is also a chaplain for the United States Senate. He is very famous for some of the words he used in the Senate. Um, but one of the things he was most famous for was a benediction that as I was reading this benediction over the last couple of weeks, I thought, I want to close our service this way because it talks about how much bigger every moment is than probably what we think. That every moment we go through life, whether it's changing a diaper or putting gas in our car or using the same person at the Publix, every moment is something that God wants to use. I want you to do me a favor for a second. I want you to... I want you to lean in this today. I want you just to shut your eyes for a second. And I want, you, I, want you, I want you to allow these words, the Holy Spirit to use these words of this benediction to maybe stir something up in every one of us. That would be my heart's goal. It's not just a great story about a young girl, a princess that won a beauty pageant. It's about a story of a person just like us, an ordinary person, that God decided to use to not just change a generation, but to literally save an entire nation. And if God could use a 17-year-old girl, he could surely use some of us in this room. Whether you're down at the Sherwood campus, you have hundreds of people that you come in contact with every week. If you're here in the Evans campus, same thing, hundreds, maybe more than that. You have patients that walk in, you have kids that walk into your classroom. You have people that you're coaching on the, on the soccer field or the baseball field. You have the kids that you're raising in your house. Are you maximizing? Am I maximizing every one of those moments? And have I found my purpose? Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. 
Christ who indwells you by the power of his spirit wants, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in his grace, his love and his power. Father, that benediction speaks loud and clear of everything that we try to communicate today. Through our songs, through your holy word, the living word. And God, I, I pray that it comes alive now. For some in this room, that initial sense of purpose comes when we find you, when we place you as number one in our life. It wasn't until that moment right there, God, back in the early 80s, that I asked you to be my savior. You took over my life, a life that was a mess, that all of a sudden my life started to have purpose. And I believe there's people in this room, there's people in our atrium, there's people watching online, there's people down at our Sherwood campus. And that's you right now. And all I would say is, have a conversation that, with the one that can change that. Have, have a conversation with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the sinless Son that died on a cross, was put in a cave, but on the third day, just like he promised, resurrected from the grave. Because of him, we have built-in purpose. But maybe you've never made that decision, and today is the day that you say, you know something, I'm gonna live for Christ. And for others, my prayer would be simply this, that we would find where our happiness, our joy, and the greatest world need in our own world that we live in, where that intersects, we would put a dot right there. And God, we would start to work toward that as the purpose that you've called us, what you've called us to do and what you've called us to be. We thank you for the story of Esther, but we thank you that you give us thousands of years later, purpose and direction. And we're thankful for that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.